Well, uh, we're going to take some time just to uh, ask the Lord to, to bless all of the, um, the effort and generosity that's gone into assembling these boxes and to bless that with His presence and the message of eternal life to those who are going to receive it. Um, Julie, do you have any updates for us regarding shoe boxes and how it went? Uh, whatever you prefer. <laughs> wow, thank you. <laughs> um, good morning. I, oh gosh, I don't know where to start. Um, this was such an amazing event, and it was really cool. We started uh, just before 10 o'clock in the morning. Everybody was early. And people just started showing up out of nowhere. I think at one time we probably had 30 people or more downstairs um, packing boxes. Uh, Not just our church family, but our community family as well. And it was such a blessing. And I even had people from the community come up and just thank us for this because it it was an answer to prayer. They were wondering how they were going to be able to fill a shoebox. And they got an invitation from somebody in our church to come in and fill a shoebox, and they and their kids, and it was such a blessing to their family. Um, I can't thank enough the, the people behind the scenes that helped make this happen, not just the people who donated their money and their gifts and their time, but uh, Shar Unger was just an amazing part of this um, and helped so much. Susie, Susie, who's not here today, she was a big help. Uh, Pat Renner, thank you so much for physically going out and doing the hard shopping for us. <laughs> um, and Sean for making sure that every box that was packed with love was able to close. <laughs> um, and if I forgot anyone, please forgive me. It was just an, an amazing event. We were able to pack 218 boxes. So, um, And that's only because one of the boxes broke. <laughs> Uh, and it was it was just so much fun, and uh, you know the Lord is just amazing when you ask for something and you give of your time and your talents in, in faith. He just blesses it ab- abundantly. So that is the update. Um, all of the boxes will be delivered to Anthem Church for a drop off point. Um, and apparently, my husband has something he wants to say. <laughs> so whether you know it or not. Many people were praying for this. And sometimes it's easy to overlook, um, to look really, I would say more correctly, to look closely at what we did and overlook God's part in this. And what you see in front of you is a direct example of what he does when he's ready to do something. And he impresses it on you on your heart, and you step in and do what, where you step in and work where he's already working. So we don't have anything to do with Operation Christmas Child. We don't have anything to do with Samaritan's Purse. We're not, none of us here are members of that. But they've started something, and it has God's blessing on it. And because we walked in step with him, look what happened. 218 boxes, that's a record for this church. Do you know that there was enough money to buy everything. In fact, there was enough money to ship everything. In fact, there was enough money to buy not only everything that you see in front of you right here, but more. There's leftovers. And when Julie told me about that, I said, isn't that just like how he works? What do you have? Well, I don't know. I have a couple loaves of bread here and fish. This kid had some stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, just take those baskets and pass stuff around. The Lord blesses it. It goes around. Everybody gets everything they need. Everybody gets to participate. The kids out there are going to get what they need. And what is left over at the end is a reminder of how he does business. Because there's a lot of stuff left over for next year. Why? Because he shows us, it isn't just a story about Jesus by the lake thousands of years ago. It's applicable today. 
And it's just as important for us to know that those people that had everything they needed to eat that day next to the lake are blessed by him exactly like you and I are. It's the same Jesus. It's the same blessing. And I'm overwhelmed by it. I did nothing more than, like, suggest Julie get involved. (laughs) But I get to stand up here and tell you this story because I watched it, the whole thing, come around full circle. And so I want to thank you for walking with God. I want to thank you for taking up his cause. And I think in each and every part of our lives that we get to enjoy these things over and over and over if we take time to reflect on them and how, he, how well he treats us and how well he loves us. Thank you. I want to say, uh, obviously, thank you to, to Julie for... Um, spearheading all of that um, did a fantastic job and uh, you know really what we've done here is is really a uh, like Dan said it's like bringing our loaves and fish um, it it's really a kind of a um, seemingly small thing but it, it's part of God accomplishing eternal work and that is a that is just unmeasurable uh, I was just uh, in packing shoeboxes just got to visit a little bit with with Jan Jacobson, and she was kind of fun. It was fun talking to her because she's been on the receiving end, uh, delivering these to the kids, and now being on this end, getting to pack them with those kids in mind. And uh, so we're gonna we're gonna pray with with those kids and those families in mind this morning. I'd like to ask for for three people who would be willing to stand up and pray. Um, over these uh, shoe boxes. Can I have three volunteers who would be willing to pray for whoever's going to receive these and handle these along the way that God's message would go with that? Thanks, Julie. Can I have a couple more volunteers, please? Dave? One more? Kathy, thank you. you guys share that just pray as as you feel led would you join together here as we we pray over these that the lord would be glorified most awesome heavenly father we are overwhelmed with your love and your your grace and your generosity and we're thankful for the the opportunity to See where you're working and to join you there. Um, These boxes have been packed with love and prayer and thoughtfulness for every single child that's going to receive them. So we just send them off in your name, praying that every hand that touches this box is blessed by you, that these boxes reach their destination, and that the child that opens this box can feel the love inside and see your your writing all over it. Thank you, Lord, for all of the hands that helped make this possible, from the hands that first started the process to the hands that will deliver the box. We just pray your guidance and your, your overarching authority over all of the boxes, not just from our church, but from all the churches, Lord, and from all the the places that they come from, and all the families. And thank you so much, Lord, for what you're about to do. Lord Jesus, you've uh, created each one of us so individually wonderful in, in your image, and these children are no different, Lord Jesus. And your desire is that everyone would know you. And we just pray to that end, Lord Jesus. Somehow, in your heavenly way and your Holy Spirit, we ask that each one of these children, or as many as you find uh, mercy on, Lord Jesus, that they would know you and that they would understand that you are the God of this world and you have the answers for all. And we ask that... uh, that we can be encouraged that knowing that you will touch a heart uh, through these boxes and that uh, 
the angels will rejoice when children know who the real God of this world is. And we just thank you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. Dear Lord God, I thank you for each and every one of these shoe boxes that is going to go out. My only regret is that we can't be there to see the smiles on those faces when those children open it. Uh, thank you so much for the blessings that you poured down in each and every one of us yesterday, the fellowship that we had. Uh, it was such a blessing to me to watch our youth take such pains to make sure they were putting the right gifts in there for that child. And I know God was putting it on each and every one's heart to pick something special for the child that that shoebox was going to. Thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us to give and to bless other people and help us to remind us to do that each and every day and to follow in your walk. And we just praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Please continue to, uh, to pray uh, that for the recipients and, and uh, families of these boxes. Uh, actually, one little cool note is that some of these boxes have a tag on them that has a QR code. So um, whoever packed these was able to take a, a picture to uh, track where this, where this box in particular goes. And so that's kind of a cool, um, cool thing. Yes? We have pictures inside? So thanks again for everybody's help in that. This morning we're going to open up in the book of Exodus in, uh, into chapter 26. And uh, we're going we're gonna to actually cover quite a bit of territory, but uh, in a little different way today. The Exodus chapter 26 is going to read, um, and actually for a few chapters here, is going to read a lot like a uh, more of a, a technical um, writing, uh, because it is. Um, it's design instructions for the temple. Um, we looked at um, God's design instructions for some of the um, components within the temple, including the Ark of the Covenant, covenant and uh, the table for the bread of presence, and also the lampstand. And, um, and and we're going to take a look this morning at the design instructions for the tabernacle itself. And um, wanted to, to start, before we read our passage this morning, wanted to start with uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 um, and 9. If we want to look back to that with me. So God gives these instructions to Moses. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. And then flip over to verse 40, very end of chapter 25. He says, And see that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. So God is laying out a specific design. Um, now, in saying that, God gives specificities we're going to see in the design, but there are also some, um, there are uh, enough uncertainties in what God communicates that, that we don't know exactly what it looked like. So there, there, um, you'll see from time to time, you might, might even in your Bible have a rendering of what the, the tabernacle um, likely uh, uh, looked like. Um, just know that's probably not exactly what it looked like, but, it, but hopefully it helps you get an idea uh, of what the tabernacle was like and the design of it. And we'll, I'll have a, a, um, 
picture for you here in a little bit that we'll refer to. But there were the, the specificity of God's design, the extravagance of God's design. Remember, as we looked at the Ark of the Covenant and the lampstand and the, the table that would contain the bread of presence, um, that all of these things are fashioned out of gold, um, that there is a, a type of, of um, uh, splendor in their design, and, it, and it's intended for a purpose, right? That the fact that gold is used is, is not just a, a, a simple detail. There's a reason for that. And uh, it's a precious metal, and it is meant to communicate something to us about its purpose and the one that it finds its purpose in. In fact, there's a couple of things that become clear through the design of, of the, uh, the tabernacle. One is the holiness of God. This is a holy place because the presence of God is manifested here. And so it, is, it, it reflects that the, that the Israelites are serving and living in the midst of a holy, holy, holy God. And the second thing is that, that it, uh, is a, it, it emphasizes that there is a heavenly presence on earth with them. And uh, um, this, in fact, we, you might even say this was the place where heaven touched earth, right here in the tabernacle among God's people. And so it was as if you, um, and what you'll notice is the, the, the sort of extravagance of, of what is being constructed and the types of metal used and even the design as you go from the Ark of the Covenant, which would be the place where God manifests Himself, um, the place which we would look at as sort of like the throne or actually even footstool of the King of Kings, of Yahweh Himself, where He will meet with His people. And then that is, sits within what we're going to see here in the design, the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And then you expand out from there, and then you have the holy place just outside of that. And then you have uh, a courtyard. And so as you expand out, um, there are more people being included uh, as you get a little further out. So the closer you get to the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God manifests His presence, the, the, the harder, the, 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 um, the less access, if you will, um, people have to that area. A reminder that this is a holy God among sinful men. And it is as if this, the Ark of the Covenant itself and, and within the, the most holy place in the tabernacle is the center of the universe. Where God is, is like the center of all things. And certainly for the life of the Israelites, it was absolutely the center for them. And um, so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 26. And I want to remind you that that as we go through Scripture, remember, um, as different portions of Scripture have have a a little different, uh, while all of Scripture finds its purpose in revealing God to us and in pointing the way for us to Christ for salvation and eternal life and restoration with God, um, that we find there are different styles of writing. And um, what we're going to find in here is is a bit more of a sort of technical writing uh, in the layout of the design. And so while we aren't going to try to find something uh, deeply spiritual within each little uh, component here, because I don't think the text suggests that to us, there is in the whole certainly deep spiritual meaning for us. And so uh, that's one thing that as we interpret Scripture, we, want, we need to use caution to, to try to... Uh, understand what is being revealed to us and not try to just attach our own stuff to it. 
Now there, I have no doubt that God has a very deep spiritual purpose in absolutely every detail. He just doesn't always reveal to us that deep spiritual purpose in each of the details. But we're going to look at it more as a whole, what we learn about God, what is revealed to us, and how that impacts us. So let's look at Exodus chapter 26 and uh, follow along here. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time talking about the actual design itself uh, in in the details of it. We're going to read through it together, and then uh, we're going to take a look at a little bit of a larger picture here. Chapter 26. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. Remember the cherubim. Uh, were also a part of the design of the Ark of the Covenant that sat upon the top of the Ark of the Covenant and um, uh, the mercy seat, overlooking the mercy seat. And uh, the cherubim we find are kind of like the, the um, uh, Scripture presents cherubim uh, a few times a, as a, almost like guardians. Um, uh, the, 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 the bouncers to to God's holiness that that no sinful thing enters the presence of God that the cherubim in the design here are a reminder that God is holy and sinful man can't just walk into the presence of God and so the cherubim factor into the design uh, of the of the interior uh, not just the ark of the covenant but the interior design of the the tabernacle itself the, the length of each curtain shall be a 28 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, 4 cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another, and you shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. Can you imagine Moses, like as God's giving him the design, he's like, hold on, Lord, what was that again? It's like, this is a lot of stuff to take in and then translate to uh, God's people that they accurately follow through with God's plan here. Verse 7, You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall be the same size, and you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost on one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and that side, to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins on top. You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames of the tabernacle 20 frames for the south side and 40 bases of silver you shall make under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, 20 frames and there 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames, and you shall make two frames for the corners of the tabernacle in the rear, and they shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top, at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them, they they shall form the two corners, and there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, sixteen bases, two bases 
under one frame and two bases under another frame. Uh, noteworthy that, this, that the Lord lays out a, a design here for this to be a sturdy, durable uh, structure and yet also be portable. Now, portable not in the sense that um, you might throw a tent in your backpack and take off into the woods, uh, but portable in the sense that, uh, in fact, it was uh, one Jewish writing said that it would take uh, something like a hundred priests just to move the, the curtain between the holy place and the most holy place. So um, if, if that's accurate, um, thankfully there are a, a lot of people who are able to move uh, the tabernacle as God would lead them to a new place. Now eventually the tabernacle um, uh, was, uh, um, there was a, an actual uh, temple built at, one, at, at a future point here. But at this point in time, uh, God still has his people in a sort of nomadic state of living. And, uh, and his presence resides among them in the tabernacle, which can be moved as God leads his people. Verse 26, you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of this side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frames shall run from end to end, and you shall overlay the frames with gold, and they shall make their rings uh, uh, of gold for holders for the bars, and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the, the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. There we have uh, the cherubim uh, come into it again. And you shall hang it in on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold, on four bases of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. And you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. And you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. All right, so hopefully you got all that design right there now. Locked in, you can picture it in your head, right? A lot of details there that... The Lord gives to Moses, and he wants his people to construct a, a tabernacle that reflects heavenly truths. So this is an earthly structure um, that is intended to give a reflection of heavenly realities. Um, in fact, I want to put up here, if you could put up the uh, illustration here of the tabernacle, this is... Uh, um, from the ESV Study Bible, and um, this is at least their rendering of this. And what you will see is, um, so you have the, the structure itself uh, with the covering um, over the top of all of it, la- several layers of covering, and then you have a, a, a curtain or screen here for the entrance, and then you in here is where the bread of presence uh, on the table, uh, the altar of incense, and the lampstand would be um, in the holy place. And then there's a curtain here, and that is the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. And the most holy place is where we find the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. And uh, remember we talked about that several weeks ago. And that is the the holy of holies. That is the most holy place. That is the place where nobody goes in there uh, except on very rare occasions when a a priest would be who is is chosen to to do this would enter in to the most holy place. That priest would atone for their sins with a blood sacrifice. 
And then that priest would atone for the sins of the rest of Israel with another blood sacrifice. So the priest must first be made acceptable to enter in and stand before the Holy One, God Himself, and then after being purified by a blood sacrifice that would be uh, permitted to give uh, a sacrifice on behalf of all of Israel. And so uh, um, what this one of the things that, that the structure of the tabernacle and the design of it, there are some things that um, are driven home to us about this. One, as this structure is, is, uh, is quite uh, ornate and, and just points to the glory of the one that it represents, uh, the Lord Himself, um, that it would be a reminder to the Israelites that God is immediately present with us. So seeing this tabernacle was a reminder that God is with us in all His power, in all His might. He is with us. And yet there is something um, that seems almost diametrically opposed to that fact that is also resoundingly true and emphasized by the structure itself. And that is that you may not enter in so while God is immediately present with His people, you may not just enter in to access Him freely on your own. There is a clear, um, clear uh, chasm, if you will, uh, spiritually speaking, between um, Yahweh and mankind. That mankind is sinful, impure, tarnished, corrupt, and that God is pure and holy and perfect. And they have seen God's judgment poured out on Egypt. Remember, as God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, He, he, he brought down several judgments on the Egyptians. And the Israelites have borne witness to God's judgment against evil. And they are keenly aware that, that He is he, while He is their provider and their protector, and that he is, he is powerfully present with them, He is also their judge. And uh, the, the construction of, of the um, Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the cherubim, it all is a reminder that while He loves them and while He has compassion for them and while He shows mercy to them, He also is their judge the judge over all of humanity. And the Israelites are, are well aware of this, actually. In fact, if you look with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, um, as, as the Lord is uh, meeting with, with Moses and um, has been emphasizing His presence through uh, thunder and um, a display of lightning and all of that. Here's, here's what happens in verse, uh, ch- chapter 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Why are they saying that? Hasn't God saved them? Hasn't God shown that He is powerfully present to save them uh, out of Egypt, out of their slavery, and now in the desert? Yes, He has, but they are keenly aware that they are sinners in the presence of a holy God. And they're, they're much better with Moses, another sinner, who's been touched by God speaking to them than they are by God Himself speaking to them. Um, this goes, though, has roots all the way back into the Garden of Eden. If you remember, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They ran to hide from God. Why? Because their soul knew in that moment that they stood before a holy judge. One that they had formerly only known through fellowship and that, that closeness uh, 
now they know as judge. And their sin just continually reminds them that they are imperfect and that they are unholy and that He is holy. You and I, if we are honest with ourselves, we, we know this fact full well. We can sense it within us. When we consider standing before the Creator, standing before our Creator, the One who is holy, 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 when we, when we truly consider that, what, you know what most of us say? Even after hearing the Gospel and hearing the incredible truths of Christ, you know what I still hear? It's, I hope I get in. Right? Why? Because we know how big a sinner we are. Now we're going to get to this in a minute. We don't have to hope we get in. We're going to double back around to that. But our soul knows that the guilt and shame of our sin before our holy God. Just as the Israelites did their guilt and shame before a holy God, that He is totally other than them. Now the things that are constructed here are designs of the temple. As uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 says that these are a, a shadow um, and likeness to heavenly things. So the things we see here are, um, in one sense, um, these are just tangible earthly objects. But in another sense, because of their purpose, they are glorified by their purpose. You know, gold and wood is just gold and wood. Uh, goat skins are just goat skins. Until they find their purpose in illuminating the glory and presence of God. And, and in that, um, there are heavenly realities that are being revealed to the Israelites here. And uh, I want to mention four of them to you, and I apologize, I don't have them up here for you. But I want to mention uh, four of these heavenly, heavenly realities that are being communicated through the design and the presence of this tabernacle um, among the Israelites and, and that we should also take note of. One is uh, that uh, what we've already mentioned and what I read at the beginning of, of the service, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, that Yahweh is holy, holy, holy. Now, the presence of that repetition in, in regards to the at, this attribute and essence of, of Yahweh is, is important. The repetition, the three times repetition, is, is uh, it's like, um, you know, you might highlight things in your, in your scriptures that you find like really stand out to you or very impactful to you the presence of holy, holy, holy three times is like a pop-up Bible. It's like, poof, holy, holy, holy. Whatever you grasp of, of God as you go through the Scriptures, one thing we must grasp is that He is holy. We see the, the way Isaiah uh, responds when he's confronted with the presence of God. He just melts before God and says, Woe is me, for I am a sinner. And I come from a people who are a bunch of sinners. I'm, it's hopeless for me. I'm going to come completely undone. The Lord is holy, holy, holy. The second thing is that He is, he is the judge of all mankind. We, we have this reminder in that um, not only is, is the most holy place uh, closed off from access uh, to just anybody, uh, to 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 you and to you and I, um, it, we wouldn't just be able to waltz in there. Um, like you, you can't make an appointment to go into the most holy place. And in contained in the most holy place is the mercy seat and the ark of the covenant that contains the the um, uh, the covenant. Uh, uh, guidelines, if you will. The, the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, um, the, the, oh, that which Israel is to obey is contained in the Ark of the Covenant. And then on top of the Ark of the, uh, of the Covenant is the mercy seat with the cherubim reminding us that, 
Um, God is holy, and we are not. And we are separated from His holiness. He is the judge of all mankind. He will be our judge as well. Third heavenly reality um, contained within the design of of the tabernacle is that He desires fellowship and relationship with the Israelites and with all of humanity at once as we get continuing through the scriptures and take it all in context that he though he is holy and separate from us because of his holiness and though he is our judge he also desires to have fellowship with us his he has made his presence among his people here in the in this tabernacle and the fourth reality is that he is the king of kings uh, and he must be approached on his terms. We are sinners. He is holy God. Now consider this is the, this, this uh, just incredible kind of a paradox here that, that this is the one place in the world where one would have access to God Himself, and yet it's also the one place in the world where you cannot access God Himself. Because you are separated by your sin from Him. Now there, there would have to be a mediator sent on your behalf. So the, there would be a priest who would be able to allow to enter into the most holy place. Um, and only then through blood sacrifice for their own sin and blood sacrifice to then the sin for the sin of of the people now while we don't any longer have a sacrificial system in that in the way that it used to be uh, we still in a way are under the sacrificial system in a way i'll explain that to you malachi chapter 3 verse 6 god says that he doesn't change He says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. In other words, he's referencing that he is a a, a God who keeps his promises because he doesn't change. He fulfills his part of the covenant because he is faithful perfectly. He doesn't change. His opinion doesn't doesn't change. uh, He's not swayed by popular opinion. Um, He doesn't care, frankly, what you or I believe about him. Uh, it doesn't change who he is. It doesn't change his purpose. It doesn't change his, the work he's going to accomplish. Um, he is who he is. And here's something interesting along with that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Because Jesus is God. And we worship Him as such. Now, if the Lord is still the same yesterday, today, and forever, and back then here with the Israelites, He was holy, 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 then today He is holy, holy, holy. If back there they feared and trembled in the presence of God, then you and I should fear and tremble in the presence of God. Why? Because we are sinners still. That fact has not changed in fact, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall into this boat. But there is a huge but in this. See, we, we are still, in a sense, under the sacrificial system in that only blood sacrifice can take care of our sin. Now, we're not under the sacrificial system as, it's, as we see it and think of it in the Old Testament where there's a priest that goes uh, on our behalf uh, every year to give atonement for sin by uh, slaughtering a, a goat or a bull or uh, various animals. So that, that, that no longer is in place because we have a better sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ Himself who gave His life for ours. John chapter 1, verse 14, um, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Heaven came to earth 
in the form of Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing here is when it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that word for dwelt um, in, a, in, a, in a more literal sense would be tabernacled. That the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, when taken in light of what we're learning here about God's presence in the tabernacle, all of a sudden we go, oh, God just made Himself manifestly known among, his, among mankind in the person of Jesus Christ who is Himself the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus... Um, in fact, it's even mentioned in Scripture a reference that it's like Jesus is the curtain that gets swung open here, as we'll talk about in a minute, that separates the holy place from the most holy place. He is our access to the Father. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as it relates to the tabernacle, it wasn't like there was a side entrance or a back door. There was one way into the most holy place. So you would have to come into the courtyard, past the altar, come into then the tabernacle itself, um, where you would pass the bread of the presence and the altar of incense and the lampstand, and then have to make your way through the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place, and you would have to enter then in through that curtain into the presence of, of God. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one accesses the Father except through me. There is no side entrance and there is no back door. There is one way. And it is Jesus Christ. When He died as our sacrifice, the curtain separating the most holy place from mankind, figuratively, spiritually, and literally was torn in two. Look at Mark's Gospel with me. Mark chapter 15. Turn with me there into Mark's Gospel. Chapter 15. This is, this is astounding. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. So Jesus here is, it has been hung on the cross at this point. And, um, and, and that's where we enter in here. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some, some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the, centuri- and the, and the curtain, don't miss this, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was not a curtain like you have, might have hanging over one of your windows where you could actually envision it being torn in two, right? Um, th- this is a curtain that, that would take, uh, at least as, as uh, the, the tradition uh, is accounted for us, that would take a hundred priests to carry this curtain. And it's torn in two. Which, which would be impossible to do even from the bottom up. But even more than that, it's torn from the top down. 
the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom at the death of Christ on the cross. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Well, it goes further than that. Because if you look in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, what you find is that there were many priests at this point who are beginning to now follow Christ and believe in Him. When they see what happens in the Holy of Holies, that the curtain has been torn in two from top to bottom, where the most holy place is no longer separated from humanity, that access to the Father, to the Creator, to the Holy One, to our Judge has been given now through the blood of Christ, um, they, they they, they are overwhelmingly convinced that this is Messiah. Now can you imagine if you were one of the priests who for generation after generation after generation what has been the status quo is that there's a sacrificial system in place, that there's a most holy place, it's separated by this curtain, and, and you're the guy on duty, and you walk into the holy place facing the most holy, uh, the curtain that separates you from the most holy place, and all of a sudden this thing's open. It has never been open, ever. It, it's never been torn into. Clearly, a work of God in the death of Christ. Jesus entered the most holy place on our behalf. Our perfect high priest who goes into the most holy place not having to atone for his own uh, sin because he is sinless. So unlike every other priest that would go into the most holies, Jesus did not have to atone for his own sin. He is already fully acceptable before God. He is pure before God and holy. And He goes into the most holy place with the perfect sacrifice, blood sacrifice for you and I, and that is His own blood. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And I would ask you to turn to Hebrews because we're uh, going to look at a couple of, of passages here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews uh, does a wonderful job of taking these uh, Old Testament um, uh, things like the passage we're in in Exodus chapter 26 and placing it in the context of uh, the coming of Christ and giving us a fuller understanding of the purpose and meaning behind it. And how Jesus is the fulfillment. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Is the holy places? Well, it's the holy of holies. The most holy place. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. See that? Um, reference to the curtain that separates sinful man from holy God. Jesus Christ is our access. Verse 21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus himself, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus became our sacrifice and stood as our high priest before God to mediate for us that we would have full access to the Father through Him by faith. We are purified by the sacrifice of Christ. We are the unholy made holy through the blood of Christ. And what Hebrews now says uh, we are to do with that is, one, know that we now have, in confidence, have access to the Father. 
And so um, we must now hold fast to our faith in Christ and, and the hope that we have through Christ of salvation and eternal life. We have to hold fast to that. We have to hold tight to that. We have to cling to that. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. Malachi 3.6, I don't change. That's why you haven't been consumed. I'm faithful to my covenant. We have confidence to enter into the most holy place now to have fellowship with our Creator, our Father in Heaven, through Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us. And let us hold fast to that. Let us not waver in that because we know that time after time after time in perfection, He has proved Himself faithful and He will continue to prove Himself faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We must spur each other on toward the good works of God in our lives. Fan the flame of God in each other. That's, that's our job as we fellowship brothers and sisters together. That our job towards one another is to fan each other's flame that desires and pursues and seeks to live out the purposes of God. And we must regularly meet to encourage each other to persevere and strive after God. In verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, uh, this is not me saying, so from now on we're going to keep attendance here on Sunday morning. That's not, uh, this is not a, a manipulation. This is... Just Scripture telling us, believers, you need to have a regular habit of meeting with other believers because we all need to be encouraged to persevere. And more and more, as it says here, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is the day? Well, it represents a couple of things. It's the return of Christ in His glory to judge those who have rejected Him and to save those who have trusted Him. And so the day brings about two things for two groups of people. It brings judgment to those who are without Christ, who have rejected Him, who have not believed in Him, and it brings salvation for those who have believed in Him and received the gift that He has offered them uh, through His blood. That is the day that is drawing near. And every day that goes by is another day that that draws near. That day is drawing near. And we need to spur each other on and encourage each other to keep persevering. It's like, uh, uh, well, in fact, we're going to turn there. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So we have this presented to us, this idea of, of persevering and spurring each other on in chapter 10. And even uh, chapter 10 ends with, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. So this is who we are now in Christ and, and, and how we spur each other on. And then chapter 11 goes on to give examples of those who have persevered and held fast to that hope in Christ. And then we have chapter 12 starts out like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we run alongside each other uh, in this sort of feels like a marathon and we're running, but every step brings us closer to the finish line. That day is drawing near. And so we run side by side, encouraging each other. Don't give up yet. We're one step closer. It's approaching. The finish line is approaching. The day of God's salvation is drawing near. And so let us uh, uh, encourage one another as we near that day. Let us throw off the things that slow us down, that weigh us down in our pursuit of Him, and let us keep our eyes fixed on Him, the very One 
who was willing to lay down his life on the cross for our sake to become our perfect sacrifice, our perfect sacrificial lamb. The Passover lamb that we might have access to God himself. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you received the gift that He has offered to you? His blood given for you, a perfect sacrifice to purify you from your sin, forgive you of your sin that you may know your Creator, that you may know uh, God no longer as the one who is going to judge you someday, but as the one who is going to embrace you as his own child and welcome you into heaven. Have you received Christ by faith in that way? If you haven't, it is a... Um, if you haven't and, you, and, and you, your soul and, uh, desires that and you are ready to trust in Him and begin to walk with Him, uh, it is not a... Uh, it is a, not a fancy process. It is a humble process of just saying, God, I am a sinner. Like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. I am a sinner standing in the presence of a holy God. And, and I can't bear the weight of considering that I'm going to stand in judgment before you. And I know that Jesus Christ himself became my sacrifice. So accept me on the basis of my Savior Jesus who gave his life for me. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a part of your family. And then what comes next is walking in step with him, making every effort to now know your Savior who laid, his, laid down his life for you. We live in an incredible time. Sin still separates man from God, but Jesus Christ became our sacrifice that all who believe in him may have fellowship with God now. No longer being on the outside looking in, but having full access to him. In fact, it even says in Ephesians that, that we are adopted into God's family. We're no longer rejected from entering the Holy of Holies and, and knowing our Father in heaven. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one may know him except the Father, except through Him. But here's the deal. You can know the Father through Him. You can have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank You for giving Your life for ours. God, we know we don't deserve what You have given us. We know that we are sinners. We know that we deserve your judgment. Your love for us was so great that you sent your son to be our sacrifice. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us by faith to draw near to you through Jesus Christ, to receive the gift of Christ, we thank you that you have, uh, you have revealed yourself to us, that we are no longer separated by our sin. Lord, I ask for those who um, are, are desiring to know you now, not as judge only, but as Savior, as Father. Lord, I ask that you would help them to surrender themselves to you and to walk with you with a new life, a new heart, the life that you give to everyone who turns to you by faith. Lord, we thank you and ask that you would cause us to be a people who reflect your glory to the people around us, who reflect uh, and carry the message of salvation. And we thank you for giving us the opportunity, even through these shoeboxes, to declare um, that salvation is available to all, that access to the Father is available to all who would receive you by faith. 
Lord, we pray that that message would be heard and heard loud and clear as we prepare even for uh, Winterfest, Lord, where we ask that you would even use that time to in our community to declare this wonderful truth that heaven has come to earth and his name is Jesus Christ. And we all now have access to heaven through him. Lord, may you be glorified in all of us and through all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. you please stand with One is that uh, potluck following service here, so I want to invite you all to that downstairs. Secondly, there is a uh, sign-up sheet over on a table right over here. Uh, actually, it's right here. Never mind. You may have already seen it. Did it go around? Okay. All right. Make sure you find the sign-up sheet. It's, uh, it's one of the avenues to have that you have to let us know um, that you would like to participate in Winterfest. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity that we have. I feel like that is a very timely opportunity that God has given us where our community welcomes us to bring the story of the gospel um, into the community to uh, just tell the truth about Christmas. And uh, that, is a, that should be a cherished thing for us um, in this day and age that our community has said, hey, will you guys do this? And, and so we have to say, yeah, we will. So um, consider how you might say yeah to that and join in. Um, Shar has a sign-up list for the different ways that you can get involved there. And then I want to um, just share w- this with you. I mentioned that, you know, we, we sometimes will catch ourselves saying, boy, I hope I get in as it relates to heaven, that, that God's going to let me in. Well, here's the wonderful truth. First John, John writes, Um, to believers. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That we can know that we have eternal life. Our, our, Our entrance into heaven does not rest upon how good we do between here and there. Our entrance into heaven rests on how good is Jesus. And He is perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. And we can draw full confidence in knowing that our sacrifice is perfect forever and ever. And so your entrance into heaven rests on something that is sure and done and never changing, and that is Jesus Christ.